Hello, my name is Tanai and I'm a women's intimacy and empowerment coach. For years, I tried to heal what I thought was commitment phobia, and I realized that there's actually no such thing. This podcast is an opportunity to have conversations about what gets in the way of us creating real intimacy, and how can we have more deep and vulnerable connections in our relationships. This is Commitment Phobe. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. Today is a beautiful day here in Florida while my guest has a beautiful snowy day in Denver. I'm here with Mikey Brackett, and he's an intuitive therapist, which I can't wait for him to explain what that is. And Mikey and I know each other through Instagram. We've actually never met in person, but we have done an Instagram live together that was super powerful about so many things one of which was um, the power of psychedelics when it comes to healing and getting through those, those blocks that aren't so easy to get through, you know? So yeah, very excited for the conversation today. Welcome, Mikey. Will you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? What is an intuitive therapist? Yeah, of course. Well, thank you for having me. And yeah, um, you know, I could just say I'm a therapist and a coach, but as I've you know, tried to better understand what I bring to the table as a therapist and a coach and someone who works with people in really intense things and really progressive things. Uh, the, the idea of an intuitive therapist really seemed to resonate and stand out because it, it clarifies how I show up a little differently. Um, there's lots of different modalities in the therapeutic world and in the coaching spaces of like approaches that people will take or tools that people will use to try and like help you understand what it's going to be like to work with that person. You know, sometimes you might like hop on psychology today or something and be like, okay, I'm struggling with depression and I heard that EMDR is good. And uh, this kind of thing sounds cool, uh, like strength focused or something. And so you might type all those things in and then it might say, here's 20 results. Um, but there isn't really a category that says, oh, I'm looking for an intuitive therapist. So um, what makes sense and to me about that and why I use that language is, you know, as a person, I'm deeply empathic, highly intuitive, and it's been a journey of my own uh, progress and healing of being able to like actually reclaim that intuition to be able to like heal the aspects of my life and story where I learned to doubt myself, where I learned to trust the things I pick up on, where I learned to compartmentalize certain ideas and concepts in order to try and like make it fit in the world. And so being an intuitive therapist, basically, in short, says that the way I show up with people is a way that's deeply tapped into things, not only in myself, but also in the other person and in their story in the greater context for what it means for them to be a, 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 a human trying to figure this life out. And that I use that ability to tap into those things in a tentative way to help elicit and bring out and guide someone further into what's going to help them heal and grow in really profound ways. Wow. That, that's very powerful. And it's, um, I love that there's almost like a spiritual aspect to that. You know, when we talk about intuition, it's almost impossible not to also bring in some spiritual elements to that. Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah. Did you grow up feeling very in touch with, with like a higher intelligence or, or like the wisdom mm. within what was your relationship to that? Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I was raised in Georgia in the Bible belt uh, of the States. So the South, the good old South. So I was actually raised in a 
pretty heavily influenced like Christian culture. Um, and being a little empathic, highly sensitive kiddo, uh, being in a spiritual rela- religious context that had really strong restrictions on like how you do certain things and what's what made me, uh, it gave me a context initially when I was younger to try and make sense of it. It's like, oh, this must be God or, oh, this must be the Holy Spirit or, oh, this must be this thing. So in that sense, it was a little bit helpful, but more so as I got older and experienced things in life that were really painful and difficult, it became actually really hurtful uh, and limiting and constrictive and confusing. Um, And, you know, as I got older, I began to like try to understand, well, why is it that I feel different? Why is it that this doesn't make sense to me? Why is it that this is frustrating to me? Why is it that, you know, even though I do have a degree in theology and philosophy, like I don't jive with most thoughts of things. And why is it that when I talk to someone, it feels like this? Or why is it that when this is happening for someone, they do this or whatever it might be? I don't know if that makes sense or not. Um, So I grew up in a context that didn't necessarily give me the right ways of making sense of myself and what was going on outside of me as well as within. And so as I got older and was able to push up against some of those things and learn different things and try different things and meet new people and other stuff, I started to learn that, oh, yeah, there is a deeper process happening within me as a person and happening within most people if they're, they will allow themselves to actually feel it, that's actually really profound. Um, and sometimes we call that intuition. Sometimes, you know, you call that empathy. Sometimes you call that like spirituality. Um, but yeah, there's a lot more going on than what we see. And I think that's a part of why I love psychology so much is it's the one thing where it's okay in our world. Well, maybe that's not true. It's a thing in our world that's like, that has the bedrock foundation that there is something else. Um, psyche means soul. Psychology is the study of the, or the care of the soul. So there's already the assumption that like, there's something else to who we are. And that has a massive impact on what we experience in life. And so part of, yeah, the intuitive aspect and the deep feeling that I have and the sensing and blah, 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 blah. It's all about just like, how do we let ourselves go there? And how do we do that in a healthy way that supports us in being whole? Wow, that's so powerful. I had no idea that psyche and psychology were related to soul because when I think of psychology I think always the mind you know it's always like the study of the mind um letting out what's in your mind so yeah what a, what a beautiful insight there and that, that I had no idea about yeah it's actually amazing I mean, when you look back at the historic origins of psychology it had nothing to do with mind uh mind was handled primarily by like philosophers and things like that, scientists and soul was tended to, spirit, soul were tended to by different people. Um, There's an, you know, if you go all the way back to like Greek, uh, ancient Greece and Greek mythologies and things like that, there's a a person called Asclepius. And that's where we get the, um, I might not have to be fact checked on this, but that's where we get the image that you see on ambulances, the rod with the serpent and the wings. Okay. That's, that's actually where we get that image from is from the mythology of Asclepius, but Asclepius was actually a healer of the soul. The body just was one thing that came along with that. 
Um, and that's, that's where psychology has its true origins is all the way back there. And so, you know, spirit and soul are, are actually the proper way of understanding what you're trying to take care of when you go into a therapeutic space. So interesting. Thank you for that little lesson there. Sure. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So today we were, we were planning on talking about, talking about mother and father wounds, Mm -hmm. which, you know, I was telling you, I haven't really spoken about on the podcast that directly. And I think it's so important, especially for a podcast called commitment phobe, you know, so much of the stuff that comes up in intimacy and relationship really goes back to the wounds that we have with our mothers and our fathers. Sure. Yeah. So how does one start digging into that? And like, actually, why don't you start off by defining what is that? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, from a very experiential standpoint, a mother wound or a father wound is the direct psychological, emotional, spiritual junk that you acquire or take on or end up occurring um, in your experience with another person. So your father is a person who influences, affects, interacts with you that you take things from, whether positive, negative, or neutral. The father wounds are those negative aspects of your experience of your relationship that you either directly or indirectly receive from your father and vice versa with your mother. Your mother wound is that information, that experience, that process that you receive from your mother that's negative or hurtful that affects you as a human being and informs why you think the way you do, feel the way you do, understand the world the way you do, engage in relationships the way you do. Um, You know, as I was actually talking to a client about this the other day, you know, as a, as a little one coming into the world, you're just a sponge taking in anything and everything. I mean, you see little kids just grabbing stuff and sticking it in their mouth and there's no filter other than their little bodies. That's like the only semi-conscious or non-conscious process they have that filters information. So the role of the parents is to be filters on some level for their child to help that child process the world themselves, their relationships, even from those first early days onward, so that things that will be supportive get through. The problem with that is, well, if you have yourself as a little sponge as a kiddo from ages zero to, you know, even like 15, 16, 17, we're still just absorbing so much. So, um, you know, it's a, it's a very significant part of early development. Um, Your parents are there to just help you make sense of the world and yourself and to guide you in hopefully helpful directions. And so if your parents haven't, you know, expanded themselves, done their work, blah, 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 and something from the world affects them and then they pass that on to you because of their own pain, well, that would be a wound. Um, Or maybe your parents have their own story and because they haven't worked through different aspects of what that means for them, and they treat you a certain way, well, that's a wound or can be. And so, yeah, if that makes sense, that's a a kind of a general way that I make sense of like what these things are at their basic point. What are some of those ways that, that those things show up in in someone's life? Like how do the, how does the wound then show up? Like what's, yeah, maybe with some concrete examples. 
Yeah. So, I mean, I think this is probably one of the most important aspects of this because this is what I think runs the show for most people. And one of the things I say is if you as a person are searching for identity, uh, trying to understand who you are, you know, it's like, well, who am I? You know, that's a question that, you know, some of us really dig into and like, well, who am I and what am I and blah, blah, blah. And I want to know who I am and I want to like understand myself in the world. If that's a mode that you're in, not only is that a part of just healthy development as a human person, but if you're heavily in that as a person and it's like really hard to know who you are or even like what you believe or what you think, or you feel like your identity kind of shifts and changes and you feel a little like floaty or chameleon-like as a person, that, that means you have a father wound. Mm. Um, that means that you are dealing with under the surface, the subconscious material of the relationship you had with your father, because from the psychological perspective, the masculine's role, the father's role in the lives of his children and around the world around him is to bestow upon people a sense of identity and, mm. uh, and who you are. And so huh. whenever people come to me and they're like, I'm just trying to figure out who I am. Da, 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 da. I'm like, okay, we're dealing with a father wound. And they're like, huh? And then we start digging into it and it's like, oh, wow. So there's a lot there. Yeah. So, so that's interesting because then it wouldn't mean, well, go out there and try this or go out there and try that because then you're carrying the wound with you. So really it's like, let's look back, let's look in and see where, what's spilling over, right? Like what's, what are you projecting? hundred mm-hmm. percent. And that's why, I mean, not to, not to be judgmental or anything like that. That's why when you watch people just constantly externally trying to figure who they are, figure out who they are, it's why it tends to be fairly painful Mm. Um, or not last, you know, maybe, maybe it's not painful. Maybe they really do some cool stuff, but it just doesn't last. So they change like in, you know, for two years, they're this thing. And then, you know, they go over here for six months and then maybe for five years, they're over here. And then maybe it's like, it just, yeah, when you don't go inward with some of this stuff, the external just won't quite do it for you. Right. And so what does it look like for a father to, to do his role as bestowing the identity? Sure. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a big question. And I don't know how well I could answer that other than just saying that you know, if we think about the psychological reality of what it means to feel validated as a person in relationship to another, especially someone who has as much power and weight and significance in your life as your father, because your father, your individual father is a human, but there's also the idea that you have, that he carries with him as a person, this much bigger energy of being a father. Um, sometimes in psychology, we call that archetypes. Uh, there's a, there's a greater energy that you represent. You know, I represent probably to you, the archetype of man, and you represent to me, the archetype of woman. And it's like, you know, and obviously you are yourself and I am myself, but there's that bigger energy that's there too. So not only are you, you know, engaging with, you know, your father as a person trying to receive validation for who you are, as you don't even know, you know, as a little thing, a big part of 
what I believe is true for a father, for a healthy father, is to be very reflective of what they see. Mm. So it's like, oh, you know, as a therapist, when I work with kiddos, a big thing that is a tool that I use is just simple reflection, not validation per se, but reflection. It's like, oh, you really like that toy. Oh, you drew this thing. Oh, you, you know, displayed X emotion. Um, And it's not necessarily validating for the kids that I work with, but it's just reflective. It's, it's letting them know I see them. It's letting them know that what I see, I notice and I pay attention to, and I'm aware of, and that, you know, I'm engaged. Um, And I think when we think about identity from fathers, it's, yeah, I see you. And the hope would also be in what I see, I enjoy, I am excited about, I celebrate. Yeah, it's it's so interesting hearing you say that because I'll start with myself. I, you know, growing up in a family of engineers and men that, that pursued finance, careers in finance, yeah, I, I found myself in my late 20s realizing that my motivation in, in success was to have my dad's approval. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's because of the messaging that I heard from him of, of the kind of career that I should follow, of what makes a good career. And so it wasn't reflecting what he saw I liked, but more what he th- thought I should go for. Right. So, yeah, so that, that totally makes sense when, when I think about it in, mm-hmm. in my case. And, and yeah, I mean, I hear, I hear it all the time of, you know, dads are the ones that tell you how to be responsible, how to pursue a life where you can take care of yourself. And they're kind of, for a lot of people, I would say that they're that, you know, archetype for sure. Yeah. And, you know, obviously like the masculine or the father contains in it much more than this. And at the same time, you know, like with your story, as an example, it's like, oh, your father taught you that in order for you to be seen and known for who you are, you needed to be a certain way or do a certain thing, which is a very passive wound, right? Maybe he wasn't a dick about it, but maybe it was just like, (laughs) maybe it was like, oh, I'm so this, you know, maybe he was like, this is how I see the world and you're over here. And unless you come in his vision, like he's not going to see you Well, that for, you know, a little one and, you know, even, you know, an adult like that hurts. Mm. Yeah. And it's just like maybe misaligned with my authentic self. Like I also see how that then shows up in relationship because who I felt like I needed to be for my dad is then who I felt I had to be in relationship for my partners. Yeah. On some level it, it passively, or again, depending on the nature of like your relationship with your father for whoever's listening to this, like it could very much actively have conditioned you to think and believe and be a certain way. And so a big part of healing those wounds is not only to recognize that when you're searching for identity, you're probably searching for father, but then to also say any, any assumption you make about your identity, you know, might have to be looked at through the lens of like, oh, maybe there's more here. Um, Like maybe who you think you are, isn't maybe all that you are really. And maybe these identities that you're tied to of I'm a this, or this is just who I am, or this is how blah, blah, blah. Maybe that's not true. And maybe there's more there for you that could be really 
expansive and, and healing if you were able to look at the relationship or lack thereof you, you did or do have with your father. Not to throw them under the bus per se, but to say like, hey, there's no way as a human person you can go through this life and not feel some sort of um, not being seen. Right. Right. So it could be in the end that it's not that mm-hmm. it's not about the identity, but it's about feeling seen. Yeah. Wow. Very powerful. And then what does it look like in the mother side? What, what is the mother wound? Similarly, you know, one of the things I believe is that, you know, the mother and the father are, I guess this is a, makes a little bit of sense. Like they're like two sides of the same coin, you know, it's like heads and tails. So within that, you know, heads and tails coin is like the self. So the father offers a very valuable, unique um, thing from one side and the mother offers a very valuable and unique thing from the other side and they make the whole and they're similar, you know, it's like, it's still the same coin, you know, it's just one side or the other. Um, So sometimes some of these things can feel like they bleed over. Sometimes they can kind of run into different things that are similar, but for mother wounds, whenever someone is like, Um, coming to me and they're looking for coaching around what they're supposed to do or what their purpose is, you know, things like that, that often is a initial indicator to me of a mother wound, especially again, like I said, with, you know, obviously discovering your purpose, your, your mission, your calling, your vocation, whatever words you want to use for it, like finding your life path and like really, you know, sinking into your journey as a human, like that's a normal part of being human. However, if someone's like, really like, I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with my life. I don't know that I feel so stressed out because like, I feel miserable in this thing. I feel miserable in my job. I can't find a partner that I enjoy, da-da-da. like all those kinds of things. Uh, those are typ- Those are typical like access points for the mother wound. And the reason for that is because since, you know, mother and father, you know, the mother, the father are these two sides of the same coin. Again, father bestows identity, mother bestows worth. And so that search for purpose, meaning is often a search for value, for worth. And in that sense, whenever someone's really struggling with trying to figure out what to do with their life. That's where, you know, initially we can access this mother wound stuff. Interesting. So what does it look like growing up then? What happened between a child and a mother that then has them feel worthless? Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, if, if the father's role is to come in and see, you know, the child or you and to celebrate and be engaged with you the mother's role is to hold and um, losing words right now, but to, to basically just like hold the child um, and to, and to embrace and to be like, not only, you know, are you seen, you know, from over here, but you're known and that knowing or feeling of being known. You know, if you think about, in your mind right now, someone that knows you really well, your whole body probably just relaxes a bit. And you probably just think of like, oh yeah, like I feel really known by that person. And that feels, it feels really settling. 
It feels comforting. It feels like it holds you a little bit. Maybe you have to, maybe you don't have to try as hard. Maybe, you know, I, I think one of the things that is really powerful about friendships or even like, you know, intimate partnerships that are really healthy, it's like, they feel it, you know, a lot of people say like, well, they really know me. Mm. And it's like, yeah. And we have a hard time, I think, putting that into words because it goes to such a deep level. And yeah, I could probably say a lot more, but I think that's probably a, a clear enough concept. Yeah, I love that. It makes me think of my own, the, the my own work that I've done in therapy and, and how oftentimes um, my therapist will just tell me to hold a pillow and, and pretend it's my inner child. And, and just in the holding, she, she says I can do healing that's like exponential. Yeah, because you're going back into that mother energy that you contain within yourself that we all need, that we all have, you know, such deep wounds with. Yeah, there's a whole like rabbit hole there. But yeah, whenever someone is like, I, I'm like trying to figure out what I'm supposed to do. And da, 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 it's like they're looking for something to hold them to say, yeah, like, here you go. Your life is okay. Your life will be okay. You will be okay. Yeah. Ah, oh, that's so good. Yeah. It's like, there's nowhere to go, nothing to, nowhere to be. You're held. Yeah. That's so good. And so when, when it comes to relationships, can you talk a little bit about who we pick, like who we're attracted to and how that relates to the mother and father wounds? I think a big thing in some of this, and I'll use some of my personal story um, in this, and I, you know, prior to the relationship I'm in now, I had a lot of relationships that were not good for me. Different kinds of relationships, different kinds of partnerships, different kinds of struggles, but at the core, they really just weren't good for me. And whether it was intuition or, you know, my own issues and things like that, I found that I just couldn't like in those past relationships really have the relationship I wanted for various reasons. And a part of that and why I use a little bit of my story in this is, you know, my father was a perfectionist and was a closet alcoholic for a long time. And then when I got into my teen years, became an overt alcoholic. And that experience just blew my family apart. And so growing up with a perfectionist, um, you know, addict um, father, an alcoholic family, you know, and a fairly, you know, codependent mother in that sense, taught me a lot of things about myself, about my worth, about my identity. And so in my past relationships, and even in my own making sense of myself, and this is where, you know, I think last time we talked about psychedelics a little bit, this is where psychedelics were helpful for me. And, you know, as I did some work, trying to really break through the patterns that I, as an adult child of an alcoholic, struggled with like feeling all these different things. I really discovered that underneath the surface, the partners I attracted, the issues that manifested in relationship were just a mirror of the unresolved pain I had as a result of not being able to have a father that chose me. And therefore a mother that because of whatever reasons also did not choose me. And so I found myself, you know, getting in relationships with people who had either alcoholic tendencies or were also alcoholic as well. Um, emotional dysregulation was very common in my partners and 
other things that were just really, really stressful. Um, but the work that, you know, subconsciously that I was doing in engaging in this relationship was, was, was trying to save my father because deep down, I believed that, you know, as a kiddo, and this played out in my family when my dad would go on his, you know, drinking escapades and do all kinds of horrible things is if I could do enough to get him to stop, maybe my family would have been okay. If I could have done just a little bit more, maybe he would have stopped drinking and maybe my family would have been okay. And maybe I would have been okay. And so that got deeply embedded in my nervous system. It got deeply embedded in how I understood myself in the world. And so, you know, the patterns I played out in relationship were trying to be the person who could make everything right. Giving people far too many chances when they did destructive and hurtful things because I just needed to work harder. I needed to do more. You know, I needed to let that one slide. So when people are in these relationships where, yeah, or like you, where you're in a relationship and it's hard for you to let go, you know, there's always that conversation, right? That grand conversation of like, why don't you leave the relationship that doesn't serve you? It's because it's deeply embedded in you, right? It's not about that person. It's about the, yeah, it's about you and the two people that mattered most to you in the world, which are your parents. So that's why it can seem so intense, right? And and that's why it can grip you so tightly. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And like, like it did for me is somewhere deep below the surface, I believed that if I did enough, then I would be loved. And until I was able to really grip that and see that as a lie and do deeper work as I've done, I mean, I've been working on myself for over a decade now, but like do the deep work of recognizing that I am okay. I am loved. I will be loved. I will be okay. I am enough. All these things that you hear people say in their affirmations that were like, God, these affirmations are so aggravating. You know, getting into that deep work of meeting those inner children, those parts of you, these aspects of who you are that carry the pain of that lie that came from a father or a mother or both or a family system is a part of how you'll be able to engage in relationships differently. Because as soon as I was able to really let go that it's not my job to save my dad from his choices and his destructive behaviors. It's not my job to husband my mother or father my brother because my dad dipped out. Then I could say, oh, what do I need? Who do I wanna be? What actually makes me whole? Why am I here on this planet? And then in that, what kind of partner can I attract that actually supports that? I don't need to attract a partner that supports my wounding because that's what you'll do. Yeah. You'll continue to find a partner that, that supports your wounding as long as your wounding is just out of your own grasp. Mm. Wow. That is so powerful on so many levels. You know, I think about all the times that I attracted the same, you know, wound um, bond. And it's crazy how it's, it's like you were attracting in a, on a subconscious level. It's like, you think about a dating profile, you know, like you're just looking at someone's photo and they end up being the same exact person as everyone you've dated. (laughs) (laughs) Is there, is there actually any sort of like explanation for, for how that happens that we, 
that we on some level end up swiping right on the person that ends up being the same person we dated last time. I mean, yeah. I mean, going back to that, like intuitive therapist idea, like we all pick up on sense are drawn towards or affected by so much more than we just think we see. So when you, this is, I'll go off on a little tangent, but like I've been doing some training with a, um, like a psychic medium, um, a lady here in town who's super cool. Her name's Elizabeth Filkin and she runs a place called Cosmic Tea Holistic Shop in Denver. Um, but because I have these like intuitive skills and these sensing skills that weren't able to like really be tapped into because of the context in which I grew up in. And even, you know, the past decade of my life has been slowly trying to like allow that to be okay. You know, she was like, okay, here, I want you to tell me dot, 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 dot. And so what she would do is she'd pull the picture of somebody and she goes, just look at the picture and then tell me what's going on with this person just from this picture. And I would, and I would stop and I'd pause and I'd feel into my body and I'd like feel into quote unquote, the area around that person, which probably sounds bizarre because it is. <laughs> and then I would notice how it affected me. And then I would say, oh, it, it, you know, it feels like this person is really struggling with this, 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 like it feels like this. And she'd be like, yep, that's pretty good. You missed this and you missed this, but like here, and let me show you what you didn't do and blah, 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 blah. And we did that. And we've done that with a few people as like a training thing of like, how do you really learn to tap into your sensing abilities as a person to not only help people that you're working with, but also like notice what's happening for you. And so, you know, if I can sit in an office with people every day and pick up on things, and then I can go to another place and look at photos of people I've never met before, photo after photo after photo, and be able to say like, huh, it seems like, it feels like this, this, and it can be pretty accurate. Then that says that for each of us, and there's lots of neurological explanations to this, and there's lots of like um, conditioning and, you know, early life experience stuff that kind of shows why we do these things. But I guess what I'm trying to say is that like, we all have this ability to pick up on things. And if you pick up on that someone is a certain way, they're carrying a certain emotional burden, they have a certain personality, they have a certain mentality, you're, you're going to find that attractive uh, on some level as long as you're not connected to the wounds that you have that make those things feel necessary for you to have in your life. Does that make sense? So you'll swipe on these guys because you'll see a picture of someone you think is hot but you're also subconsciously and maybe psychically or emotionally on some level picking up on the baggage that person has. And part of you says, oh, that's the baggage that works for me because that's the baggage that hurt me. And I need to figure out how to overcome that baggage so that I can break free of this pain. But the problem is, as long as that's not conscious, it's going to keep running the show. Right. So, so it would entail like responding differently right? So it would entail knowing, okay, this is the same things that I'm doing and I got to do things differently. Right. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And it's, it's also to say like, what am I really attracted to? Like what's actually good for my nervous system? Not what's good for my, my parts that I want to, you know, blah, 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 get friction with, but like, you know, what's good for like my nervous system. Mm. 
Yeah. I'm curious. I'm curious about what that experience was for you. So you said, okay, so you did this work on yourself and you realized that you were in these relationships that were bad for you. Then what was that process for you of, of redesigning that? And how did you actually create attraction towards a new type of person? Yeah. I mean, I think it really, for lack of better words, because I'm not a dating expert by any stretch of the imagination. I'm more here to help you dig through your junk and, <laughs> you know, heal and integrate those things. Um, for me, it really looked like getting very open and willing to see all the aspects of myself and my experience that I had felt afraid of, that I had uh, given my power away to that I had chosen consciously or not um, from negative belief systems or ideas about myself, as well as also opening up to the fact that like maybe there's more going on on a much broader reality than I've ever really imagined, and maybe there's other things happening here that I need to come to terms with so that I can also come to peace with things. Um, that have been hurtful. And so that I can, again, I can advocate for the man I want to be. And I can actually do that in an assertive and compassionate way. And that, that means like, you know, for me, that meant really breaking codependent patterns that meant breaking uh, dynamics in myself that were deeply embedded into not only my nervous system, but how I understood relationships because of the family I grew up in and because of the religion that conditioned me for a good, you know, 18 years or so of my life, uh, maybe even more, 20, whatever. And it looked like me coming to a place of grieving the things that, um, I had lost along the way because of that, the things I had had endured because of that. And then it also looked like letting myself move into those places of deep grief and loss so that I could take care of myself and learn to take care of myself and have others help me as well. It's not just me doing it myself that I'd never really let happen before. Yeah. Why is that important? I'm curious to hear more about that grieving process, grieving what wasn't or grieving what happened. Why is that an important part of the process? My mentor is a guy named John Lee and his, one of his dear friends and mentors and colleagues was a guy named Robert Bly. And Robert Bly was a man who helped start the kind of like quote unquote, what we called men's movement back in the eighties and nineties. And his big thing was you have to, you have to grieve because grief is what connects you back to your body. It's what connects you back to your soul. And so many of us, when we're young, we learn through life, through family, through school, that what we feel, what we long for isn't acceptable. And so, you know, he often used the metaphor that we get cut off from the neck down from a very young age and we live our lives uh, the rest of our lives out in that manner with our head being where everything happens and our body just being along for the ride. And what he talked about is that grief is that access point. And then my mentor, John, came in and said, the other access point is anger. And then I'm coming along, you know, 
you know, working from that lineage of men and taking it a little further. Now I'm also saying now intuition is another access point, but you can't really be tapped into your intuition unless you have been able to tap into your grief and your anger. Cause then your quote unquote intuition will just be, you know, emotions that you may not really be in touch with. So you might feel something, but it's not going to be true or clear or pure because it's going to be clouded by your anger and your grief that you have not tapped into. And so it's like grief is the entry point into understanding that like you're here on this planet and you won't be here one day and you're here now. And that's a pretty profound thing. Um, But because we're afraid of that second part that we won't be here one day, we tend to block out everything else but grief is what you know touches you into other people it's what touches you into yourself Uh, it's coming to terms with the fact that you are deeply deeply powerful and also powerless at the same time yeah that's so good I think for myself I think about as someone who had such a hard time in intimacy and vulnerability I think about all the moments where where I just had the strong urge to break up with someone or had the strong urge to like push them away. And it would feel like my intuition speaking and saying, this isn't safe. And, and, and at the same time, so much grief and anger that wasn't being expressed. So that that's so interesting. You know, I mean, it's like, I mean, Gabor Mate's one-year like trauma healing program right now, which I, I'm learning. Yeah, I'm learning so much. And something he talks a lot about is the difference between strong emotion and intuition and how a lot of times it's not that people that get themselves in dangerous situations, it's not that their intuition lied to them. It's that the part of them that gauges safety in their brain was what was like, you know, it's what got like fucked up in childhood. Yeah. Yeah. It's huge. So, so that's interesting too, when we think about in relationship, like one, what we find safe or not. And, and, and yeah. How do you get someone to then to really listen to their intuition in that, in that moment? Yeah. I mean, I think a, a part of that is to what you said, like do the work like you're doing and learn how to differentiate intuition from strong emotion, you know, learn how to differentiate intuition from fear, anxiety, hypervigilance, judgment, self-protectiveness, you know, things like that. And I think one of the things that I'm trying to figure out how to put into words so that I can answer this question, you know, for lots of people more clearly is that, you know, our emotions are the, the, the information and the communication of our experience to us in the moment as it's tied to history and memory and hope and future. Uh, So emotions are just good information. Are they right or wrong? I don't know. Are they helpful or hurtful? It depends. Uh, Intuition feels like something different. And and it's, it's different than like, I dot, 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 I feel this way. It's more so of like, huh, there's something else happening. And the best way that I've been able to explain this or make sense of it in my own mind is that the intuition is the language of the soul that comes through the body that makes it so that like the messages that are being communicated on the soul level that we have a hard time connecting to because we live up in our heads, you know, like Bly talked about get chopped off at the neck down. Um, 
they're the messages that come through in such a clear and significant way that we can't ignore them. Now, what that message is and what it means is something you have to learn how to tap into, understand, respond appropriately to over time. So it's not that just whatever you quote unquote into it means that it's right. It means though that when you feel and sense and have your intuition turn on, you need to pay attention and you need to start asking the questions of like, okay, what is happening in my body? What is my soul starting to say about this, that, or the other, about what is really happening here, about what I'm struggling with, about what might be the most compassionate and best choice for all people involved here and now. And that might take time. You know, sometimes people say like, oh, I followed my gut and I just went with it. And that was like a split second thing, which, which is a part of intuition. And at the same time, it doesn't always have to be that way. Sometimes it can be like, huh, I was in this thing and I just got this like sense of this or this download of this, or this came up for me. And that feels pretty important. I'm going to sit with this for a few days and I'm going to notice what happens in my body and deep in my heart, like in it's hard to describe, but like I often talk about the heart as being like the core of the person or the seat of the self. And like, obviously it's not like your physical organ, but you could probably say, and we hear it all the time, like my heart's broken, my heart told me this, that it's like, ah, there's like something there. So if you can connect then whatever you're feeling and sensing through your body and then go into your heart space and be like, hmm, what is this? and you listen to it actually, and you step out of that place to speak from a compassionate place and a boundary place, then I think you've got a lot to work with. But some people use intuition as just like, you know, a passing by, well, I felt this, so I did this. It's like, eh, I don't know. Sometimes, sure, that's happened for me. But other times it's like, it's the weight of something that you feel whether positive, negative, or neutral. Yeah, that's so good. I'm hearing so much in what you're saying. First of all, the reminder that we are meant to move way slower than when we're moving nowadays. (laughs) And so intuition, we hear of it also just being this really quick download and not necessarily, right? Like like one of my teachers, he calls intuition an inner disturbance. And I feel that way sometimes where like, it is this inner, like, er, you know, it's like an inner, no, an inner, no, that I'm, that I'm very accustomed to ignoring. And I'm in the practice now of communicating like, Hey, I don't know why, but there's something here. That's a no. And so that I've found to be intuition. And maybe I don't have all the answers yet of why it's a no. And maybe I'm feeling anxious because of how long I've been ignoring the no, but, but it's like, yeah, it's, I'm hearing in what you said, just like the importance of slowing down and just listening and going inward and getting curious that it can just be this thing that, that reveals itself over time. Right. Yeah. hundred percent. And a big part of it is like a big part of what I'm learning is reclaiming your intuition is reclaiming your body. And also at the time of reclaiming your body, like accepting the like clear limitations and capacity of what it means for you to be an embodied person which means you need to drink water you need to move you need need sunlight you need sunlight which a lot of us like you know a lot of things that happen and i'm you know i've taught yoga in different capacities and done different things in that community and spent a lot of time learning a lot about that there's a lot of like 
embodiment stuff, especially in that world where it's like, well, I can do this because this is how I feel, or this is what's good for my body. And it's like, yeah, drinking a pot of coffee is not a great choice. Like drinking a gallon of water, that would be a great choice. You don't have to pee a lot, but like, that's going to be way better. And so there's like a, there's a conscious limitation of being a body that we have to accept, which means you don't do certain things because it's not good for you. And you do do other things because they are good for you. And in that practice of like really doing that, you'll find a lot of relief and actually start to feel a lot better. And then that will help you with things like your intuition, because now you're submitting yourself to the process of being human, as opposed to trying to master it or overcome it or conquer it through a crazy yoga practice or, you know, eating whatever you want or restricting whatever you eat or da 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 da. It's like so much of that need to like conquer the body is still in even some of the healthiest quote unquote spaces because we're not dealing with the acceptance of limitation. But once you do that, it's like, oh, okay. I'm here in this thing. Yeah, that's that's so good. Um, I, I hear that a lot. And I, oh, yeah. And it's like, it, what I'm hearing is that it can be easier, you know? And, and, oh, it can and, be and so I, much easier. Yeah, like if you, or I'll speak for myself when I take the time to breathe and walk outside and be in contact with nature and sleep, I don't find myself needing to journal and meditate and like talk my feelings. Like I just, I have more homeostasis. Like I, I you know, I'm, my channels are more open. I'm feeling more regulated. Um, and, and yeah, I've personally like the embracing limitations and finding the freedom and limitations has been a huge part of my, of my growth. Um, I have one particular friend who had gut issues and, and she just didn't want to let go of sugar and fruits. And, and she was like, it just feels limiting to me. And I'm like, <laughs> right. So let, let's get curious about that. Yeah. Just get mm-hmm. curious about like, why does it feel like limiting and serious to do that? I feel the same way about money. Like to me, limiting my, 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 the way I spend my money felt limiting or like constrictive. But then I thought to myself, like, I don't eat as as much chocolate as I want. (laughs) So why not think of it the same with money? Right. 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 Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And that's tough because it's like our egos, our ideas of ourself. That's what I like to reframe as ego because everyone throws around the world for ego a lot. (laughs) Um, but like our our ideas of ourselves are things that we are deeply committed to and going back to like mother and father wounds your idea of yourself may not be something that comes out of a deeply uh, grounded place your idea of yourself your idea of your identity your purpose your your this your worth your you know significance in the world might not be what it could be And so it might serve you a lot to let go of some of those ideas of yourself and accept some limitations and play with those edges and see what happens for you. Yeah. Like if the the suffering comes from attachment, then whatever identity you're attached to, it could serve you to do the radical discontinuity thing and, and try something else. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. 
Wow, so powerful. Thank you so much for this conversation. We just, we took it so many places, but I think like what I'm take, taking away is just how wise, you know, how, how much wisdom we really have within ourselves. And if we really take care of ourselves and if we really turn inward and get curious every time, then it can really all be easier and really feel like life is supporting us. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, how can the listeners get in touch with you? Uh, the easiest way is Instagram. I think that's become the thing. Um, and it's my handle is at Mikey dot bracket. So M-I-K-E-Y period B-R-A-C-K-E-T-T. And then my website is my name, MikeyBracket.com. And you can book with me, find out about workshops and things that I'm doing. Um, reach out to me. I have a free discord channel for men to talk about and chat about all things mm -hmm. that are um, important in life if they want to. Uh, and then, yeah, I do workshops and things all the time. I have a workshop coming up with cosmic tea uh, that I'd mentioned earlier in March. Uh, I have a workshop coming up with JNRI coaching. So journey coaching based out of Los Angeles in June. I think that's only available to journey members, but yeah, just stuff like that is happening all the time. Awesome. Wow. I love just the variety of things that you're offering. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Sounds good. And yeah, if anybody is looking for more information, I will be putting it in the description of this podcast episode. And if you, yeah, if you want to continue the conversation, reach out to either one of us, Mikey and I will be doing another Instagram live soon. So yeah, look out for that. Yeah, I look forward to it. Thank you so much for inviting me on and for hosting this space. Hey, you. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Commitment Phobe. If you like what you heard, make sure to share with your friends, your lovers, your ex-lovers, anyone that you think could benefit from having a conversation like this one. And... It would be super helpful if you subscribed and left a five-star rating on iTunes to make sure that this podcast gets spread around to as many listeners as possible and we can start changing the conversation that we have around intimacy and relationships. About what I do as a women's coach and some of my other projects that I'm working on, you can find my information in the bio of this episode or you can reach out to me directly on Instagram and shoot me any questions that you have. See you next time.